Brothers and sisters, it's such a blessing to be together as church once again this Sunday afternoon to worship our Almighty God and Saviour. Welcome to this service, and if you've joined us as a visitor, we also extend a sincere welcome to you. And if you've joined us via the live stream, we pray that you may also be blessed by this service. May our God be praised and glorified through our worship this afternoon. And may he also bless the proclamation of the gospel so that it may cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Consistory has the following announcements. The Consistory as elders and deacons will, the Lord willing, meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm in the Consistory room. The congregation is reminded that the next classes north to be convened by the Free Reformed Church of Melville will be held here in this building this coming Friday, February the 2nd. All catechism classes will commence next week. More details will be in the source next Sunday. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Husinger, Emeritus Minister of our sister church in Armadale. Before we commence the worship service and to prepare our hearts for worship, let us sing of the greatness and glory of our God, Psalm 145, verse 1. rise to receive God's greeting. We confess our help is in the name of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ in the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response to God's greeting, let us sing together Psalm 65, stanzas 1 and 3.
Together with the Church of All Ages and Places, we confess our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. Afterwards, let's sing together from the same Psalm 65, stanza four, you are the hope of distant nations. We confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, and let each of you say in your heart with me as follows, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. before God's throne and ask for a blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful Sunday. Thanks for assembling us. You give us peace and freedom to come together. We can put all other things aside and concentrate on you and your worship and your word. Thank you. You give us time to get ready to come to church. Many would love this privilege, but they do not have it. Lord, we tend to take it for granted, but we do thank you. For we do not deserve these riches. We are no better than others. In the beginning, Lord, you created us to have dominion over all things. We were to rule to have authority, but in our first parents, we rebelled. Instead of governing this world to your honor and making it into a veritable garden of Eden worldwide, we brought corruption, bloodshed, violence into this world. We allowed the tempter to have his way. And so he can sow terror and destruction. And even today, terrorism continues to reign, killing many innocent citizens in various countries. And Lord, there is much discussion about climate change and all the bad things happening to this world. It seems we are not very good stewards of your creation. But we know things will not be put right until our Lord comes. And we pray that he may come 
because he is the answer to the evil that has come into this world. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you for his sacrifice on Good Friday. We thank you that we could confess that on the third day he arose and gives us a living hope. We seek our forgiveness for sins in him. We look outside of ourselves to him and we pray, Holy Spirit, guide us by the word that you inspired men to speak. And so Lord, bless us, open our hearts to your word and open it to us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. This afternoon we're going to open scripture at the New Testament, Matthew chapter four, and we'll read the verses one through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil, devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Thus far, in response, let us sing together from Psalm 91. That's also used in this text. Psalm 91, we'll sing the stanzas 1, 4, and 5.
Our text this afternoon are those first four verses that we read of Matthew chapter 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you start a new job, sometimes you are placed on probation. You're temporary. They want to see how you will do, maybe for six months. It might make you nervous. And after six months, if all goes well, the boss may offer you a permanent contract if you pass the probation. And so it allows the firm to find out how qualified you are for that position. Otherwise, they may be saddled with an unproductive worker. And it gives you, as the worker, time to assess whether this is the right place of work for you. In our text, we find that God places Jesus under probation. He tests and trains his servant for that momentous ministry that lies ahead. And I preach you the word of God under this theme, Jesus is placed on probation. We will see that Jesus is really placed on probation and see that Jesus royally passes the test. This passage comes after that passage in the Bible, you may see that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And there was a loud voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And after that wonderful start, then you read, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Into the wilderness. Now you and I might expect that Jesus would have been led into a garden, a lush, tropical garden, like the one in the beginning, the Garden of Eden. For in this first temptation, the devil is going to approach him. And we remember that he came into the garden of fellowship to tempt the man and the woman. So you might expect the devil would take him into a veritable garden, but no way. You might also recount that the Hebrews, the Israelites, journeyed through a wilderness to the promised land. And in the wilderness, God put them to the test to find out what lived in their heart. He wanted to know. And would they pass the test? Once there was no water. Another time, they had no bread. So, you see that the wilderness does have connotations. Now when we read this, some people have, well, certain preconceived ideas. And one preconceived idea is that these temptations were not real. For how can a human being survive 40 days of fasting? In the wilderness, impossible, they say. And therefore, they conclude that this temptation was not real. Others, well, they think a bit differently. They don't think much of these temptations at all. Jesus is the Son of God. As such, he can withstand anything. Actually, as God, he is holy and needs no probation. And therefore, we can forget this story. We do neither. 
For please do not forget that Jesus willingly became flesh and blood as we confessed. And though he was in the form of God, says Paul, he did not consider that he had to hang on to that equality and glory with God in heaven. But he emptied himself of that and became a man, even a servant of men. And so Jesus really became a man, even one who comes to serve us. We must not forget that. He's a genuine person, except he had no sin. And this son of Mary and the carpenter, he can also be frail and dependent as we are. He has to pray for strength and guidance. He has to learn to live from what God supplies. Some people may not think that that was necessary. They will point to his miracles. Could he not do wonders? Did he not have power? Yes. But the Spirit was upon him as a man to do those things. The Spirit was also upon workers such as Elijah and Elijah. And they did miracles through the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit stayed on Jesus after his baptism. And so we cannot use that to say, oh, he was not really a man, and therefore these things don't mean anything. Jesus was truly human. But there is a wonder here. The person of our Lord presents us with an astounding mystery. In one person you find God and man together. And you cannot deny either. And we're not going to do that either. So we cannot reduce his humanity. And so stress his Godhead, his deity, and that, well, these temptations were nothing and amount to nothing. No. If you do that, then this whole story in which you find tension. Well, it loses it all. It loses the tension, the pressure, because you read of that in this story. And really, you take it all away if that's how you approach our Lord and Savior. So the Lord places him on probation. And that already stresses he is human and he can be placed under probation. So even though this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, God in heaven says, before I place you on the throne, I want to find out whether you will do all that is written in the scrolls of the Old Testament about you. Will you stick to the ministry that I have outlined in the scriptures for you? That is what the Lord wants to find out. Probation. If you want to have some biblical examples of probation, you can think of two probations. First of all, Adam and Eve in paradise, which I alluded to already. And the Lord, he wanted obedience from man's heart, that they consciously, deliberately obeyed God. He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of that wonderful garden so that they not only find the difference between good and evil, but they learn to obey God from the heart. What would happen? They were under probation. And I already alluded also to the wilderness journeys. And we read in the Old Testament that God wanted to test them to see what lived in their hearts. And you know that trip through that barren land exposed grumblings, murmurings, malcontent Israelites. Mistrusting God, not trusting Him when they were allowed to go into the land, 
And when they told them not to go in, then they wanted to go in. So God put them under probation and he tested and trained them. And now he does this to our Lord and Savior. Right at the beginning of his ministry, will he be a true prophet using God's word? Will he be a high priest who is willing to sacrifice his own wishes and his own wants in order to do God's will? Will he be a true king? Will he fulfill that threefold office? There will be much for him to do. And the climax comes at Golgotha. So will Jesus pass the test? And that's why the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to face the enemy. And we have the impression that Jesus himself retreats so he can commune with God, that he can concentrate all his energies on the ministry to come. It's a retreat, fasting and praying, so you can focus all your energies on what is coming. It's a momentous ministry to fulfill. He has single-minded dedication. But the Lord also wants to know, will he do this under pressure? And when he's faced with the enemy? You students, you prepare for an exam. And hopefully, during the year, you will prepare day by day, not just at the end. And yet, Right at the end, you feel the pressure the most, do you not? Well, Jesus' exam takes place out in the desert. And we know about the outback, its dangers, scorching temperatures, dehydration, no one to consult, and so on. And what you really need to do is to have a good supply of water and food. Well, Jesus went through a 40-day fast. And his needs become excruciating. After such a long fast, his body must be craving food and water. His reserves are at an end, you would say. And I think he must have been gaunt, a walking skeleton. I think of the second, 22nd Psalm that speaks about the Messiah. And it says, I, I was poured out like water. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. I can count all my bones. He probably felt like that. It must have been terrible. And yet, he concentrates on what God has in store for him. All the words of God, all the scriptures that need to be fulfilled. But at this point, there's another problem. The real problem maker, the devil. And so his retreat into the wilderness suddenly turns into a battle. And it does remind us of the encounter that our first parents in, had in the Garden of Eden as they encountered the devil. They lost and they threw creation into turmoil. And then we read all three temptations and you find out that the methods of the devil have not changed. He can twist God's word. He can just give it a slight twist so it has completely different meaning. Or he can quote God's word. He quoted Psalm 91 that we sang. Go ahead, throw yourself down. He will not allow your foot to be broken, to stumble. And so he can quote scripture, he can twist scripture. Yes, in order to undermine God and his plans. He can throw suspicion on God so that we follow him instead of our good shepherd. So Jesus as our second Adam 
needs to confront and to conquer this formidable serpent. And we know that Satan has hordes, numerous hordes at his side. For later on in Jesus' ministry, there will be many demons always facing him wherever he goes. And remember also that at this point still, Satan has the possibility to accuse God's people before God's holy throne. And so he needs to be dethroned and defeated. Otherwise, there's no hope for us rebels. Jesus has to undo the damage of our first parents. And so this battle, now I called it a battle. You could call it something else. You could call it a trial by ordeal. You know, a battle in which two champions representing two sides fight it out. And the result decides the history of both sides. A representative from both. And that's what happens here. So we have one who became a man who wants to serve us. He's going to take our place. But look at the odds. In a wilderness, a 40-day fast, and then the devil comes at you using the fact that you're vanishing. Yes, you're at a low point, you're ex totally exhausted, you have no reserves, and then he comes. That's the devil's way. He loves the odds stacked in his favor. He's always been like that. But give you another biblical example, there was a giant of a man, a champion from the Philistines. And we're told he stood nine feet, nine inches tall, covered from head to toe with heavy armor. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, massive. And the spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And this menacing giant towers over, yes, a shepherd boy with his simple slingshot. David does not trust in weapons and armor, but in the Lord God. Again, the devil likes the odds in his favor. And this encounter between Jesus and Satan is much more significant than the one between David. The one between Jesus and the devil is much more significant than the one between David and Goliath. For it's going to turn world history into one or other directions. So this temptation decides world history. The tempter comes with those enticing words. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you are, oh, that is really teasing. That is really baiting someone, is it not? Because he knows full well that Jesus is the son of God. And do I need to remind you that the tempter, he heard those words of Genesis 3, 14 and 15. You will bruise the heel of the woman and the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman will crush your head. And for centuries, the tempter was nervously waiting for this special son to come. Would it be Moses, the one plucked out of the water? Would it be Elijah? You see, he was afraid, nervous, and yet he was preparing himself at the same time. And you remember when the serpent, when the serpent heard that a special son, a king was born, then he used Herod, Herod the king, to send soldiers to Bethlehem 
to kill all the baby boys to make sure that that one special son would not live. But he failed. Because now that one male seed faces him. But again, if you're totally exhausted, like an Esau, are you not tempted to give in to these words and to turn stone into bread? Oh, tempting. Well, I tell you, <clears throat> Jesus turned a few loaves of bread into enough loaves of bread and enough bread to feed 4,000, then later on, 5,000 people. He can do it. And he will do it. And he will turn water into the best wine. But if you're going to try to take him away from his father and take him away from his purpose, no, he'll have none of that. He's not going to break his trust in his father. He'll do things, but not in the devil's way. Well, the ancient enemy, he was lurking, he was trying. And who is equal to his schemes, to this vicious liar? His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And Jesus had to stand up to this polished propagandist. And while he's totally exhausted, he's facing a tempter who can quote scripture very nicely. See what Psalm, <clears throat> what the Lord says, for example, in one of the temptations, one of the other temptations. You see, he'll send his angels. They'll guard you. Go ahead, throw yourself down. He knows how to quote scripture, but he twists scripture. Because if you take the words right after it, then you find out that the serpent is going to be crushed. That's the next lines of scripture in Psalm 91. And he very neatly forgets those words. Yes, the devil is one who can twist things, making it sound like truth. If you want to believe him. And we, we can be tempted by our own sinfulness, by things in this world. And the devil find, yes, he'll find the cracks in our armor. We may say at times it's not fair. We may be faced with a terrible disease or with unexpected trouble. What did I do to deserve this? But then remember your Lord. He didn't deserve it. He's righteous. He came to fulfill our righteousness. He came to serve us. And as our substitute, he's driven into this desert. And while he's totally exhausted, the enemy comes to tempt him. So don't talk about not deserving it. Take a look at the prayers in the back of your book of praise. You will find there's prayers also for those who are sick. And on more than one occasion in those prayers, it will say, we can never complain that we don't deserve it. We deserve much more, in fact. And the Lord, he has taken what we deserve, and he enrobes us with his righteousness. What a wonder. But learn then further how Jesus defeats the devil and comes out as victor. For Jesus royally passes this test. In the process of this encounter, Jesus is finding out what his task as the anointed one is all about. You may say, well, he should have known about that before. Yes, but he's a human being. He went into the temple to find out from the learned men, the experts in the word of God, what he was supposed to do. And he was only 12 then. He, at that point already, 
had to be in his father's house and learn all about his ministry. And you might say, well, he should have known that, he's God. No, he's a real human being. He had to learn. And think of what the letter to the Hebrews says. Though Jesus was a son, with a capital S, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. As we learned in this temptation. He learns how to dig deep to rely on his Father. And he needs prayer to receive strength and patience from above. You know when you stand up in front of a congregation to profess your faith and to swear obedience unto God? That's a solemn matter. But the proof of the pudding well, it lies in the eating, we say. And for us Christians, that means when things become tough and hard and there's pressure on us, then God finds out what really lives inside of us. And <clears throat> that is what God is doing to Jesus. He prays much on this retreat and it prepares him also to face Satan. God often examines his people. He examines us regularly so that we may learn to place our trust in him. That is what we need to know. And when we have this one, then we also learn about temptations. Because you know, we have the Heidelberg Catechism. And in the Lord's Prayer, we also pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have to learn to pray so that we're not led into temptation, but that we're delivered from the evil one. And so this passage also speaks to us so let's learn from our Lord and how he approaches this. And then we find out that Jesus uses scripture. The devil uses scripture, yes, in order to sound good and to trap people or to twist scripture to deceive people. But Jesus quotes it. And he is quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. And that was from the time that they were on the way to the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, well, it recounts what happened along the way and how the law was given the second time along the way. And so we find out that the Lord is using a passage and it says there, you shall be careful to do all these commandments that I command you today, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord so what was most important only bread water Israel grumbled we're going to starve. We're better off back in Egypt. And the Lord tells them, you have to live by everything that God has spoken. Everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You have to live on the truth of all the scriptures. So doing God's full will, fulfilling the scriptures about his ministry, 
That was the most important thing for Jesus. And if God wants to, he can speak. And in a word, he can send ravens and they will take meat. Remember what they did for Elijah by the brook Kareth. Water and the birds bring food. God directs all things. He can send them. He can speak and these things happen. And so when Jesus says, I've got to live by everything from the word of God, Jesus is showing a very high view of scripture. The scriptures are most important for us. That is what he is saying. So first of all, God, let them hunger to test them. And once they found out what lives in them, he also showed mercy. And he provided manna, which in Hebrew means, what is it? Because that's what they said. They didn't understand. What is it? They were completely dependent on the Lord. So is Jesus going to accept bread and water? And forget about all those other words that came from God for his ministry? Hardly. Never. Jesus is not going to sacrifice God's will. Jesus will multiply bread when the masses need it, but not for the devil's purpose. We learn lessons from this. How to approach temptations and the devil. For today, I think the motto would be, man lives by bread. There's a heavy concentration, if you read the newspapers, in government on economics. Food, bread, water. And have you noticed that even in times of recession, when times are hard, the food malls thrive. People still go into the food places. They make a good business. Man lives by bread. That's a conclusion we might often come to. But we have to remind ourselves as Christians, we live by everything that God has spoken. And that is the most important. And God will take care of our needs. If we start to follow the worldly trend, then we go by the lotto mentality. Then we ask that the stones become bread so we need not work, and that we could just win a lotto. But we instead work energetically in dependence on God. He can give health, ability, and willingness. And in Jesus' own life, do you not see that he was never preoccupied with food? We never read that. He was not preoccupied with shelter. No. But he often sought retreat at night. He often spent a night in prayer with God. We do read that. And if Jesus needed prayer and times of quiet, I think we need it even more. Because we are not holy as he was holy. But we have a sinful nature that the devil can use against us. So it means that we should meditate on everything that comes from God's mouth. The Bible. Let it be there at mealtimes. It would be there at school when it starts this week. It'll be there at the beginning of meetings for consistory and other meetings. Let it also have a prominent place in our life. And that we're people who love the word and that we're not too busy to open it and to be ruled by it. For you are anointed ones as well in Jesus Christ by faith in him. And you also will face troubles trials, temptations, whatever you want to call them. And you have to know how to deal with these. Jesus at the end of his ministry could say, it is finished. Wonderful. 
And so we see that Jesus relied not on himself, but on the Father. And did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, and he must win the battle. And so <clears throat> we find out we have optimism in Jesus. He is the victor. In his battles with the devil, he proves to be the strong man who binds Satan and then is able to plunder Satan's house. And I may put that into real language. He ties Satan, puts him into the bottomless pit so that the gospel can run the course of this world and that God's plans are fulfilled especially through the preaching of the word and especially on today, the Lord's Day. Jesus is the strong man who has bound Satan. He is the victor. He has triumphed by using scriptures to thwart the evil one. And at the end of his ministry, Jesus fulfilled scriptures by die, dying on the accursed cross. And through that cross, Paul says, Jesus has triumphed over the principalities and powers of darkness. So follow our master who faced the ultimate tests. We say to ourselves, how could Jesus endure such a long fast? Would we not give in to temptation? Yes, we might say that ahead of time, but when it's actually there, God provides what we need and therefore rely on the Lord. And remember Jesus, that Jesus himself suffered being tempted and thus he is able to help you when you are tempted. And again, the letter to the Hebrews says, for you have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. For he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Arm yourselves with such determination to follow Jesus, no matter what. Amen. In response, let us sing together hymn 53, the stanzas 2 and 3.
Let us give God <coughs> thanks in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the instruction of your word, for its warnings, and also for the hope that it gives us. Because if we were to face the tempter all on our own, Lord, yes, we would give in. We would crack. We thank you for our Lord and Savior and his spirit. He overcame the devil, though the heavy odds were stacked against him. And he thwarted those devious attacks of the tempter. Thank you that we learn that we should use your word to ward him off. We see how Jesus undid the damage that our first parents made by using scripture and fulfilling your word. Lord, we undergo tests too. And in those tests, you find out what lives in our hearts. When the pressure is there, then you find out. And we pray therefore the prayer that Jesus taught us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. And moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual warfare, we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. Thank you, Lord, and that we may rely on you and trust in you. Uphold us by your power and grace in this new week. Guide and guard us also when there is a new church season. Give us all that we need. We think especially of the schools that start. Bless the preparations that are underway. Give our teachers love for their task of teaching, love for the students, love for your word, for you. And use all that instruction that you may have a people who are well prepared to stand up to the evil one. Remember, Lord, in your kindness, those who need your hand of healing. It can be a trial. It can test us. We pray, therefore, show your love and mercy. Surround them and bless medicines and medical treatments. We ask, accept our songs as the fruit of your Spirit's work in our lives and use our offerings so that your work may proceed. We ask it all and we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You now have the opportunity to give your thank offering for <clears throat> the Lord and the thank offering this afternoon is for mission work and Papua New Guinea. After the thank offering, we will stand and sing our closing song, hymn 55, stanzas two and three.
Lift up your hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing, and go in peace. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. Amen. <laughs>